If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, where we're going to continue our series called Rise Up, which is really a thinking and reflecting on, on the whole area of vision. I don't know if you've ever been under a misconception, and uh, I, uh, I, I, I was confronted with one actually this morning. Um, Yesterday, we, we had a, a leadership day away, and uh, it's, it's just been my birthday, and uh, there, there were two cakes there, and, and I assumed that the two cakes were for me, um, and, uh, and uh, they actually all were consumed. And, until this morning, I was talking to another deacon, I'll let them be nameless, and, uh, and they went, no, it was my birthday as well. The other cake was for me, but I wasn't able to be there. And, and suddenly I realized, oh, they weren't for me. And unfortunately, we haven't left any cake for that deacon either. So uh, I, I feel now indebted to them. And, uh, but, but you know how misconceptions work? You, you think one thing, and then you realize something different. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I think that sometimes it's embarrassing like that situation, but other times, that reassessing of how we think and how we perceive is actually an incredibly exciting thing. I know there have been times in my spiritual journey and in my Christian life when as I've gone along, I've kind of thought one thing and then, and then discovered something else. And, 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 and it's caused me to recalibrate and rethink situations. I mean, one that was quite topical at the moment, but, but I remembered that the way I uh, thought about the Israeli-Palestinian issue was dramatically transformed when I went and visited a Palestinian refugee camp. And, and, and it, it was like a shift, a massive shift in my thinking and the way I would read the Bible. And, uh, and, and it wasn't a bad thing. It was traumatic because it requires you to reassess and, and, and look at the things that you, you kind of hold on to. But it actually becomes a very exciting and invigorating thing as God speaks and you discover something new and you reassess. And, and you know, I don't care what age you are. You need to always be open to that reassessment. I, I think if you become so closed, and, and I, I hate it enough, always hated it, um, that, that in conversations, when you have conversations you, you know, where someone is so closed to the possibility of something else. Have you, you ever had those kind of conversations? I, I see husbands and wives nodding their heads quite furiously. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, and, and then suddenly to open yourself up to the possibility of something else. It's, it's, it's quite, quite remarkable. And here we have a, a, a story that, that I've called Finding New Perspective. And, and a, a story about Elijah discovering the way that God speaks into a situation and invites us to reframe it and think again. And, and, and vision is about that, where, where God speaks and he invites us to rethink and reframe. He... Um, you know, we were seeing last week, and we were, we were talking about the, the vision for SBC, and we were looking at the, the fact that, that God has placed us in the center of a city. 
And, and it's not just to be in a city, but it's to be for the city. And, and the call to be visible and accessible. And sort of what that means. And the exciting aspect of being visible and accessible. The, uh, the, the, the predictions are, we'll see if it transpires or not, but, but the, the city centers are going to be transformed and they're going to probably revitalized as residential areas and communities and all sorts of new things are going to happen. And because SBC is here, we as a church building and as a church people are going to be at the center of our city. You know, isn't it good that they haven't turned this building into a Witherspoon's? <laughs> you know, it lay derelict for 20 years. And, and it was revitalized, and there's still a church here. And we can go to many cities in the UK, and you will walk past buildings not dissimilar to this. And they will be pubs, and they will be restaurants, and they will be nightclubs. But in Stirling, the church that's like this in the heart of the city still contains a worshiping community. Look around yourselves. <laughs> uh, it's a worshiping community still here. And, and, and that is something that's exceptional and, and worth reflecting on. And, and if, if we are in this place, what has God called us to do? What has God called us to be? And, and sometimes we lose sight of the possibility that God gives us just because all the things crowd in around us. Here we, we, we see a, a really monumental moment in Elijah's life. In the chapter before we were looking last week at, Elijah had just defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It was amazing. He, he, fire had descended from heaven to consume the offering. Everybody had seen it. It had been accessible and both visible. And, uh, and uh, the, the prophets of Baal had been vanquished. And it was like revival is going to come now to Israel. God's people are going to return to the covenant. We're going to see revival because we've seen God work in this amazing way. And that's obviously what's going to happen. But it didn't. You know, Elijah had this amazing experience and the people of Israel had this amazing experience of God. But they didn't turn back to God. And Queen Jezebel, who was Ahab's wife, um, turned around and issued a death threat against Elijah. Now, Elijah had just defeated the prophets of Baal. And yet, this woman turns around and says, we're going to kill you, Elijah. You know, I'll make you one guarantee. You're going to be dead soon. And, and, and Elijah, for whatever reason, seems to lose all perspective here. Uh, I guess we could probably describe it as burnout today. <laughs> He's just like, I cannot go on. It hasn't worked out the way I thought. You know, what happened, God, there? It should have happened this way, and it's not. And, and he was incredibly disappointed and disillusioned. And, then, and maybe you've reached that point. Maybe you've seen that in the church. You know, the church should be one way. It should be a loving, embracing, forgiving community. 
and you've never experienced it or you've had experiences of the church where it's been a thousand miles from that. Or, or you've expected God to do something in your life or in your family or in your career. And, and, and God hasn't done it. I, I remember really, really early on, actually, it was interesting, I met with the pastor of that church uh, just this week. And uh, the, the, the church that I was ordained in uh, many years ago. And um, I, I, uh, the, I, I felt called to urban mission to working with the poor. And um, I went for a job. I was 23 years of age. And everything within this was right. You see, if you'd been looking at the box, tick, 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 tick. People in the congregation were all saying, you're, you're the person. Uh, folks at the, my university were saying the same and everything. And, and I kind of thought, yeah, God, obviously this is dead obvious. I'm meant for this job. And I went along and... Uh, got interviewed and things, everything went brilliant, everything was great, and they appointed someone else. And uh, it was like, they, they thought that 23 was too young to be doing this kind of ministry. Who thinks that? Because uh, when you're 23, you don't realize that. But anyway, and, uh, and I remember, it was devastating. I mean, I cannot describe how devastating it was. God had something else intended for me. But at that point, it was just the devastation. And, 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 you know, we experience these moments both as churches and as individuals. And we get overwhelmed with that sense of disappointment and disillusionment. And, and, and it's hard to carry on. And Elijah basically decides, I'm going for early retirement. That's what he decides. I've had it. <laughs> uh, I've got a death threat. I'm a, Israel hasn't repented. I've got a death threat on me. I've had it. I'm going off to the desert. And, uh, and, and he just gave up on it all. And, uh, and there he is in the desert. And uh, he's just exhausted. And, and, uh, and we're told that he falls asleep. It says he stretched out and fell asleep. I, I know what that's like. Now I'm a little older, you know, the afternoon naps and things like that. Elijah was just completely exhausted. The minute he stopped, he just collapsed. Do you, do, you, do you ever find that in terms of your work, you know, that you're working so hard and, and you're getting to that holiday and then you get to the holiday and the minute you get to holiday, you're sick or you're ill or whatever, probably shows you're working too hard, just so you know. But, and, and here's Elijah, exhausted, completely exhausted. And, and, and God sends an angel and, and this is really annoying. Uh, the angel wakes him up. You know, I was like, what? <laughs> I, um, our granddaughter was staying with us a few weeks ago. And uh, she, she was kind of having a problem settling. Uh, and so I went up to her and I uh, just said, oh, it's okay, darling. You know, I'm here. It's fine. And, it like and she turned around to me and she went, I want Susan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I didn't even know she knew. Anyway, that's, so, so here we are at this moment. This angel wakes him up, and I'm sure Elijah's like, This is the last thing I want, okay? I want early retirement. I don't want to really be troubled. I'm disillusioned and disappointed, and I'm fed up, and you're waking me up. 
And the angel says, get up and eat. Get up and eat. And, and the angel has to do it twice. Get up and eat. And, and, and it's really important. What, what, why is the angel waking him up? And he's saying, Elijah, you have to build your spiritual reserves. See, there's a fundamental principle here in terms of vision. And when it comes to vision, there are two types of vision. And uh, I, I call these elemental and developmental vision. Uh, I'm sure you can probably think of better titles or names for them. But people need to understand these two types of vision because they're both essential to the life of a church. Probably they're essential to us in terms of our own spiritual life. The first element, the first type of vision is elemental vision. And, and that's the vision that when we say, what kind of church do we want to be in five years' time? We say we want to be a church that loves God more that loves one another more, that's reaching out to the marginalized more, where we're more earnest in prayer, where we're reading our Bibles, where we're growing in fellowship and community. And that's what I call elemental vision. It's the answers that you would be given if you went to any church at any time in any part of the world. What do you want to be like in five years' time? It's, it's the things that you will see Paul praying about for the churches that he ministers to. May they grow in their knowledge of you. May they grow in their love for one another. May they grow in their desire to reach out and witness to the reality of Jesus. And, uh, and so when we ask the question, what kind of church does SBC want to be in five years' time? We should be saying that. And here's the thing. This is foundational. Because there's another type of vision, and this is called developmental vision. And this is equally important. And, and developmental vision is really about what God is calling us to do. It's, it's the store, sort that people who love stats and quantifiable things. The, the problem with elemental vision, it's really hard to quantify. You know, if, if you're a statistician, you hate it. How do you quantify loving God more? And, and things like that. But developmental vision says, you know, we want to double our congregation. We want to add more staff. We want to reach young people. We want to see our children's work grow. We, we want to add impact within our community by developing counseling services, by ministering. So it's what we're going to do, and it's all quantifiable. And, and, and it's, it's important. But it has to be built on elemental vision. See, sometimes what happens is, and you, you'll see churches falling into these two extremes. You get churches that are brilliant at developmental vision. Uh, again, I, I was hearing about a church this week, brilliant at developmental vision, and uh, doing loads of things, amazing stuff and all that. But there was a lack in elemental vision. You know, the leaders weren't always growing in the way they should have in their relationship with God. They weren't growing in sanctification and in the elements that make you effective as a Christ-like follower. And you know, if you're successful, you can get arrogant, you can get proud. You can begin to see things in, in a way that thinks it all depends on me and not God. 
And you know what happens? And we've seen this over and over again, and you don't have to go very far. You'll, you'll see them regularly happening if you engage with the Christian press. Amazing ministries developing incredibly, but there's no foundation, and it blows up, it blows up, it blows up. The foundation for any developmental vision must be an elemental vision. So if we're going to build this church and we're going to be effective as a city center church that's visible and accessible, we have to be a church that grows in community. We have to be a church that grows in our love of God. We have to be a church that grows in our love of one another. And in whatever we're doing developmentally, we mustn't lose sight of that. But there's another kind of church. And this church kind of gets the elemental stuff, but doesn't get the developmental stuff. And they create these brilliant community-based churches where you go along and the prayer meetings are great and people are serious about the Bible and, and the teaching's good and you go, oh, it's great to be a Christian here. And, and you know, and they go and say, play bridge and Friday nights with one another and, and they're there with their Christian friends and, and they kind of look across the bridge table and they go, I like you because you're a nice person. And they say, and they, they reply, I like you because you're a nice person. And suddenly you get this Christian bubble. And it's a brilliant Christian bubble. And I want to be in that Christian bubble. And it's great. The community's great. It's amazing. I just love turning up on a Sunday. They give me coffee and donuts. It's just great, okay? And uh, it's just brilliant. But they never impact their communities. They never make a difference. They never engage with the messiness of our world and our communities. They, they never do anything, and, and, and generally over time, they, these groups, because they're so insular, they shrink, and there's no developmental vision, the call of God. As a church, we need to both be developmental and elemental, but we must get elemental right. And, and, and so I kind of, I am... Um, uh, I, I, I'm a person who's always been attracted to developmental vision. I love developmental vision. But as a church, we must understand that the elemental vision, our growth as individuals, our growth in our relationship with one another, our growth in our relationship to God, is fundamental to what God asks us to do. Get up and eat. So here's the question. Where are you spiritually? Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in relation to your relationship to one another? I, I, I don't believe that church can be an optional extra in an elemental vision. It just can't. It requires something else. And, and, and without the community of God's people, we just don't have the strength. We don't have the support. We don't have the encouragement. We don't have the discernment to be what God wants us to be. And maybe some of you need to have that angelic moment. Maybe you feel disappointed or disillusioned and you need to almost have an angelic visitation that says, get up and eat. Get back to where you should be in your relationship with God. Get back to where you should be in your relationship with one another. Get back to where you should be committed in service and in to the life of the church. Get back to where you should be in that. Get up and eat. 
Second thing then that, that happens is God asks a question. Do you, do you, it's always bad when God asks you a question. And God turns around to Elijah in verse 9 and he says, Why are you here, Elijah? I like it that Elijah gets a couple of sleeps and some food before God asks him this. So he gets into a place so he can deal with this. And then God says, why are you here, Elijah? You know, Elijah thought he was in the right place because of his wrong perspective. He thought that early retirement was what God had lined up for him. He thought that, you know, I've done my ministry, I've done my years, I've had my big moment, Mount Carmel, everybody will remember it, they'll tell it thousands of years later, it's all done, and I'm finished. God's got nothing else for me. And God turns around to me and he says, why are you here, Elijah? See, God wanted him to realize that he was not where he was supposed to be. He had to, he had to get that sense. He was not where he should be physically or spiritually. He was not in God's will, but his own will. And he needed to realize that. And he didn't understand that at that moment. And God had to get him to realize he wasn't where he should be. Why are you here, Elijah? You know, those moments of realizing that, God is, that we aren't where God wants us to be are the things that drive vision. You know, it's, uh, there was one speaker I knew who used to call it a holy discontent, a kind of holy anger which says, we cannot accept the status quo. We cannot accept where we are. You know, uh, the, the, the visions of SBC over the last few years have been partly driven by some of that. I mean, many of you will remember the stories of, of how things like the Life Center and the Haven came about, which, which really went, go right back to a, a, a funeral that I took. And uh, it was uh, the head of uh, a public school in, in Bridge of Allen, and I was driving back from the funeral in his car, and he asked me, where is your church? Because he was quite posh. I, I said, across from the railway station, because I don't think he knew where McDonald's was. And, uh, and he went, oh, yeah, that's the one behind the wall. That's how he described it. That's the one behind the wall. And, and it felt like somebody stabbed me. Literally, it felt painful. And I remember coming back to the church leadership and sharing that and talking about that. And a kind of resolution that we would not be known as the church behind the wall. You know, and, and out of that came a whole series of ministries which have impacted at different times. They've had different seasons. But we've seen incredible things happen over the last few years in terms of community impact. We've seen things like city center chaplains. We've seen things like The Rock with an amazing youth ministry. We, we've seen things like uh, the, the counseling service that's expanding at the moment in the life center. We've seen the work within the haven impact the local community. We've seen incredible things. And, 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 and you know, in, in the circles beyond this church, People know us for our, our social action and engagement with the community. 
The, 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 the most fundamental one is LifeWave, which has been there for almost more than 50 years now, impacting the community in remarkable ways. And uh, that came from a, a discontent. We don't want to be known as the church beyond or behind the wall. There's a kind of new discontent beginning to, to rumble in the church. And, and it's kind of focused on this building. And it's kind of saying, not only do we want to be known as the church beyond the wall, we actually want to take the wall down. And, and there's a sense that, you know, our, particularly this building that we're sitting in, it's underutilized. And that it's time that we start to maximize the utilization of this building. And, and before COVID, actually, we were considering refurbishment. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more convinced that there is time to consider refurbishment and what that means. And, and you know, and that's going to be an exciting part of the life of the church. But it comes from a discontent where God's saying, and we begin to realize God's saying, you're not where you should be. Where we all get, and it's not just the minister or a couple of deacons or a building committee or something that gets dissatisfied. It's everybody gets dissatisfied and said, we will not and we cannot accept the status quo. It has to be different. And out of that comes a new thing and a new vision. But the third thing that is involved in this is that out of that discontent, out of that sense of we don't want the status quo, God invites us to encounter him. And, and so the third thing he says to Elijah is go out, stand, and look. See, there's a big danger when we get dissatisfied with the status quo. And again, something I have a tendency to do is that you see a problem, you're dissatisfied with the status quo, and then you rush away and you immediately come up with a solution. I was kind of talking with Anthony this morning, redesigning the church building. And I was thinking, hmm, maybe that's a bit soon. And, uh, but, but beginning to think of these things and, and, and find solutions. But here's the thing. You know, it's not a rush to solution. It's a rush to hear God. And as a church, as we engage with vision, and, and there's a lot of practical things that need to be done in vision and possibilities, but the most fundamental thing is that the people of God, out of a holy dissatisfaction, begin to seek God. You know, God says to Elijah, come on, get up and come and seek me. And he says, come away and, and stand on the mountain of God. And, and it's interesting, this is the same mountain that God revealed himself to Moses on. So there's a kind of a, a rerun of a, a Moses narrative going on here. It's probably why Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus on a mountain in a very similar scenario. But he takes him to this place when he can hear God, where he's open to seeking God's perspective. See, you can have a holy dissatisfaction, but you can lack the desire to hear from God. You can say, oh, I'm fed up with it. I'm sure we all know the sort. You know, you go to a meeting and they're always upset about something and it's never good enough. And you're like, oh, great, it's another thing. Or you wait for the email. 
obviously it's only me who has people in their life like that. But, but, but you know, and, 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 and it's like, and, and there isn't actually any openness to seeking God. There's the dissatisfaction, but there's not the openness to seeking God. And as a community, if we're serious about the future and vision, we need to get serious about seeking God. To standing. You see that when it talks about standing. When, when they prayed in the ancient world, we, we pray with our hands clasped and our eyes closed. We teach kids to do that. I do not know why. See, in the ancient world, the way they prayed was they would stand up. It's a bit like the free church. And they would raise their hands, not like the free church. And, uh, and, and they would pray. That's how they did. And, and that's what God's told Elijah to do. Stand up. Raise your hands and look. You know, and as a community of God's people, as God begins to stir a dissatisfaction with the status quo, it becomes vital that we go, we raise our hands, and we look for what God wants to say. You know, uh, sometimes uh, 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 when you, you go for a pension product, They'll, they'll always ask you, what kind of risk do you want? Do you want the low-risk package? Do you want the medium-risk package? Or do you want the high-risk package? Nobody ever had conversations like this. But, you know, and they, they'll take the one off the shelf, you know. And, uh, and it's similar in a way with vision. God, what is the vision? And, and uh, is it, God, is it the, the small vision? Is it the medium vision? Is it the big vision? And, and, and it's, it's not a vision that we naturally attracted to. It's, God, what is your vision at this time for us? And, and, and uh, Elijah is expecting God to reveal himself. And, you know, we, we see the fire, we see the wind, the earth, and the fire. And, 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 and he, he's kind of looking for God in these amazing kind of things. And what happens is God brings a gentle whisper. He just speaks to him. And I have seen throughout my ministries these gentle whispers, sometimes in my own life, where God says, this is what I want you to do. And, uh, you know, usually we make up then rational answers to, to why this makes sense, but, but it's just God's prompted us to do it. He's given us a whisper. Sometimes it's other people that bring that gentle whisper. You know, I love being a Baptist sometimes because the form of our church government, when it works, is brilliant because the form of our church governance is not democracy. People are like, this is democracy. No, it's not democracy. It's not, it's not even like a, a business meeting or running a charity. What the essence and heart of a Baptist church is is that the people of God come together to seek God and hear God on issues. Not to work out, oh, well, 60% will support this motion, so we'll go with that one. We're not the Tory party or the SNP or any other group. I, I, anyway, or any other group. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're not, we're the people of God. And, and it's about hearing from God. And it's about coming together and hearing. You see, when we get this, when people are open to hearing from God, and the church comes together and people are open, it's amazing. You see when you come together as the people of God and everybody's close to hearing from God, it's all my agenda, and I'm going to make sure my agenda happens. It's a horrible, horrible, worst kind of church governance ever. You know, it's enough to make you an Episcopalian. And, uh, 
But when it works, it's amazing. And, and, you know, in this life of this church, we've seen amazing moments where God's spoken and there's just a sense of God's spoken. And, and, you know, that's why I love vision periods in life of a church. Because when a church comes and we're open to hearing from God and God speaks, it's so exciting and exhilarating. And he hears. And as he hears from God, it's very, very simple what God says to Elijah. He says, it's time to end the time out. You know, there, there are times that we need to be spiritually refreshed. There are times that we need to take breaks. There are times when it's right to take pauses. But ultimately, and, and again, this goes for whatever age you are. You know, God says, it's time to get some skin back in the game. It's time to re-engage and it's time to re-engage with the vision. And, and he tells Elijah to go back. And, and, and what he's saying is, get back to the job <laughs> that you've just taken a break from. Get back to what I have called you to do. As a church, we are fundamentally called to be a visible, accessible presence in this town. And, and what that looks like as it goes forward, I don't know. I don't know what this church will be like in 50 years' time or 100 years' time. But I would hope that what we do now will provide for that. Because you see, when Elijah goes back, what is he told to do? He's told to go back to his mission and his ministry, and he's told to prepare for the future. You know, here, here's the thing. We can keep, and again, I've been to churches like this. You know, we can go where we just want to keep the church for ourselves. Okay, so I want to go to church. I want to sing the songs that I want to sing. I want to talk to the people that I want to talk to. And I don't want any strangers or anything like that. And I just don't really want anything to change. And I'm quite happy until I die. And in return, I will give you my tithes. Okay. That's the deal. But don't change anything. And, uh, and you know, and, and churches are like that. And, and instead of being the transforming power that God calls us to be, we kind of say, we're just happy to keep the present going. And we have no thought for preparation for the future. And I don't care if you're, and obviously when you're 20, you seem to think, wow, we've got ages. But it goes by fast. But I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 70 or 80 or 90 or... We're called to prepare for the future. I have a, a, a neighbor, a guy called Tommy. Tommy's a brilliant guy, um, <laughs> very secularized, uh, but I meet with him and have chats. We have great chats. And uh, he's 87 years of age. And every week he plays the lottery. And I'm saying to him, Tommy, what are you going to do if you win it? <laughs> You're 87 years of age. <laughs> You save your money. <laughs> but no, he's out there every week getting the lottery. And I, and I kind of like that. No, I'm not endorsing the lottery, understand me? Uh, but I kind of like that. You know why? Because he's looking to the future. You know, it's not over till it's over. And he's seeing that he's leaving a legacy for the future. Don't often quote Ricky Gervais in a sermon, but... Uh, there's something profound that Ricky Gervais once said. He said, the mark of a civilized society 
is where men plant palm trees, the shade of which they know they will not enjoy. You know, as a church, as Christians, sometimes that's what we're called to do. You know, in terms of the vision of SBC, I, I think for some of us, that's what we're called. We're called to provide a legacy for the future and prepare for that future. Where are we at? Do you need to get spiritually reinvigorated? Do you need to get up and eat? Do you need to recognize that you are not where you should be? Do you need to again hear the voice of God speak into your situation and say, this is what I've called you to do, and this is what I've called you to be part of? And do you need to get back to the job, to building that future for God's people in this nation? A future which is for this congregation, a future which is for this town, and I believe a future which is for this nation. Christ is not finished with you. He's not finished with Sterling. He's not finished with Scotland. And I pray that this church in the next few years will demonstrate that vividly. The church in Scotland is not over. The gospel is not dead. But God continues to be at work through his people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of this story. Lord, we thank you for the exciting times of vision. And we thank you for the time that we're now in as a church. Thank you for the hundreds of conversations that are going to be happening. I thank you for the prayer meetings, for the, the arguments even, where we are discussing what are you calling to us to in terms of the future? What does that future look like? Lord, I pray for those of us who are spiritually vanquished and tired and disappointed and disillusioned. Lord, help revive us. Help us recognize what it is to be part of a community. Lord, for those of us who are satisfied with where we are, Lord, generate that holy dissatisfaction. Lord, for us as a people, help us to hear clearly you speaking into the life of this church. And Lord, help us get back to the job you've called us to, of building a legacy and a witness that will last into the future, that declares Jesus is Lord and alive and at work in this world. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.